Snide's Return is a tabletop role-playing game interviews and actual play podcast. We interview content creators, Twitch streamers, and fellow podcasters, and we put out our own actual play using a variety of different systems. So come and join us, come and have a listen. You can find us on Twitter at ReturnSnyder. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or check out our website at www.snidesreturn.squarespace.com. Hello and welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, the podcast of Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPGs, and nerd culture in general. I'm your host as always, Mike Daniel, and today I am joined uh, by Ismael Alvarez, aka Alvin Wizard King. He's the uh, community manager for The Tome Show. Uh, Ismael, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for joining us here. Um, why don't you tell me and tell our listeners a little about yourself here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I've been on the scene for about 10 years now. I do a lot of freelance writing for uh, uh, table, tabletop RPGs, primarily 5th edition uh, D&D these days, anyhow. Uh, and also I have a mm-hmm. Twitch channel. Um, I am uh, at on Twitch as Elven Wizard King, all one word. Uh, and I do some uh, live stream plays of, of my D&D games and, uh, uh, as well as uh, some video game stuff there. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again so much for, for coming on to the show today. Um, I guess what uh, what other what video games have you been streaming recently there? So this uh, it, it all started with me playing Final Fantasy four. It's like my favorite game of all time. Uh, on Oh, excellent. Yeah, that's a great one for sure. <laughs> and so I started playing that uh, at the urging of one of my uh, really good friends. And um, then at, when, once that was done, I started playing Fantasy Star for because I really love that game as well. Uh, and then that kind of kicked off uh, a running joke of like, well, I'm, now I'm just going to play all the games that are like part four in a series. So I've been doing that. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. I just just the other day I finished Castle Castlevania 4 or Super Castlevania. Ooh. And that was yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. Fun. That's a great one as well. Have you gotten around to Resident Evil 4? No, but I'm really excited to get to that uh, one. Um, yeah, that's probably my my favorite part four of any series i would say is resident evil for sure um i'm i'm kind of cheating but i'm really uh, excited for the end of june because uh legend of mana is having they're doing like a um like a remake that's coming out on the switch and that's technically part oh, yeah, yeah. four so i'm gonna play okay. that okay hmm I'll, I'll i'll let it slide i'll let it slide <laughs> No, that's uh, that's super exciting, and and again, thanks for for coming on to the show. Sounds like you're, uh, you know, a big RPG fan. I know I definitely am as well with a lot of the part fours that you've been playing there. But, uh, um, yeah, also been in the, I I guess not really in like the scene, so to speak, for ten years. But I've been playing D anD D for about ten years or so as well. So certainly have amassed a, a lot of experience um, through that. And I know that something that. Um, a lot of DMs often wonder about, especially like people who maybe want a DM is like, you know, wh- how do I like I'm sitting down at the table and I'm running this game. Like, how how do I do that? <laughs> like, how do we we manage the sort of chaos of all of these other people around the table, you know, all interacting with each other making sure everyone's 
you know, having a good time and, and staying engaged and, and so forth. So Ish, you, you've kind of joined us here today to talk about just that, right? So um, I guess, you know, my, my first question for you is, you know, when it comes to uh, thinking about all of those things and about table management and, and uh, wrangling that chaos there, um, how, how do you a- approach um, the table, uh, so to speak, to, uh, um, you know, make sure you're, you're able to run the game effectively? Yeah, so um, a lot of it is just kind of improv and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, t- having talked to a lot of people who do improv, it's just kind of being able to bounce things off of each other. So it, it's just kind right. of like using that energy. Someone says something to you, you respond, you try and keep the mm-hmm. ball rolling, the plate spinning, as it were. Um, for mm-hmm. me, it's a lot of uh, making sure I give prompts. So like if uh, the group is standing around, they're just kind of talking about whatever, you know, sometimes that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Sometimes that's, you know, a party banter or what have you. Uh, but sometimes right. they're trying right. to figure out what to do and you kind of have to, th- you know, throw a curveball at them uh, and mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. oh, uh, something's happening over off to the side. Do you want to check that out? Or, uh, you know, maybe uh, you you think you uh, heard something coming this way or, you know, the, some NPC comes up and talks to you about something that's plot plot relevant um and some so a lot of that is just trying to get people to kind of follow the 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 leads that you've got going uh as Mm -hmm. well as to just um i would say just kind of throw in maybe non-plot elements that you think people would like like you know Mm -hmm. just sometimes there's just like some silly npc that needs to come along and do something silly but if the uh (laughs) if the players really respond to that then you want to have that be an element too yeah, absolutely. We I've often on this show talked about, you know, the uh, sort of Bobble and the Goblin character, right? Like you have this strange NPC that is just sort of a, um, you know, kind of a throwaway thing for you. But uh, you know, the party is all, often going to attach themselves to that like NPC with a weird voice. So he's got some strange uh, quirks about them, right, that they want to investigate or he's just maybe it's just a funny name and they want to hang around with them. Right. So seeing them sort of pick up on that, you have to kind of yes and with them. Right. So um, like you mentioned, those improv skills, you're you're saying, OK, yeah. And or you, you do kind of the opposite, which is no, but right. So they're trying to do something like, oh, well, that doesn't work exactly. But this other thing happens that kind of moves things along for you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's a, a lot of it is so much just reading the room and just seeing mm-hmm. what people are kind of in the mood for. And the tricky, the tricky part is when, uh, you get to a point where maybe half the group wants to do one thing and half the group wants to do another. Um, and mm-hmm. usually you see that when it's like, okay, this group, this half of the group wants to do exploration. This half of the group wants to do combat or some kind of you right. know, iteration of that. But um, mm-hmm. sometimes that management, sometimes just like getting the, the table to, to go in one direction uh, when necessary is uh, just kind of having people do a dialogue and kind of facilitating that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it is just a series of, com- of compromises and that sounds kind of harsh. It's kind of like, oh, well, some people don't get what they want. But usually it's about right. figuring out how to make all of it work um, within a time frame, so you might say, okay, well, right, what right. if you did this, this, and this, so that you could do the exploration first and then do the combat mm-hmm. afterwards? Um, and right, and usually, right. what people learn is that uh, 
not arguing about it means that there's more time to do of the other things that they want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know that uh, with one of my, my games, often the, uh, the sort of party indecision ends up taking up a lot of our time. You know, we have maybe three, maybe four hours if we stretch it to, uh, to play, you know, every week. And if we end up, uh, you know, just sitting around discussing what our plan is or what our plan of action is, uh, then that ends up, you know, eating up a bunch of the time that we we would have to actually be playing the game, right? So, um, I guess when when you see those things happening, like, what are your tips for DMs or GMs to, you know, what steps should they take in, in order to wrap that up or maybe prevent that, you know, further discourse? Some of it is just having a firm hand, and that again, that sounds kind of harsher than it, than I mean it to be. But if you notice mm -hmm. that it, there's kind of a, an impasse or if people are having a hard time really um, figuring out what to do next, that you're just kind of like, hey, let me, you know, propose something or uh, let me step in here and, and kind of give you some some insight. And, uh, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of times it's about I wouldn't call it meta knowledge, but it's about like saying, mm -hmm. well, let me tell you something your character would know and kind of frame it in. Yeah. In a way that, like, well, you don't know this because you don't live in this world, but your character does. And so mm -hmm. let me kind of frame this right. in such a way. Or um, let me make, make more clear something earlier that I didn't completely explain, uh, whether mm -hmm. I'm filling mm -hmm. in gaps or I'm just d deciding that I want to, like, fill in more knowledge that maybe I, I wouldn't have earlier. Um, right. You, Things you didn't have prepared, but now that you're thinking about it, it's like, oh, well, these details kind of fit together. So let me pass that on to you as well. Correct. Because, yeah, it, it, it typically indecision um, other like so there's an indecision where people want to do different things within the group. And then there's indecision of mm -hmm. we don't have all of the information. How do we get that information? Or we don't have all right, of the, you right. know, uh, there's something missing. There's like a gap of knowledge. And so usually filling that gap is, is really uh, helpful towards uh, helping that decision be made. Um, and sometimes um, when things get really bad and, and people just get super indecisive, it, it might be um, helpful if not like uh, it might feel draconian to do this, but you might want to close something off um, mm -hmm. because if it's yeah. like, well, we could it's... go across the sea and deal with the tyrant that's over there or we can go, you know, five miles away and deal with like this haunted ranch. Uh, you might be like, oh, the port's right. closed. You can't go across the sea anymore. So now you right. have There's to Right, there's a massive storm blows in all of a sudden, and now that's not an option for you guys. Yeah. Like the, it's it's extreme, I, I would say, and I don't I don't know that everyone would mm -hmm. necessarily agree with it because it, it sounds like railroading. Uh, right, yeah. I You know, railroading gets a really bad rap, but sometimes it is a little necessary to kind of take the reins as the GM or, you know, storyteller effectively and steer it a little bit, um, keep the party a little bit more on rails. Because I think, like you said, you know, a lot of times that uh, the indecision comes from either not knowing enough or having too many options. Um, and that, you know, option paralysis is just going to bog down the game, right? So uh, limiting some of the options for the time being um, can you know, maybe sound like a little bit like, you know, railroading, which is this bad thing and there's all these negative connotations around it, but sometimes it's a little necessary, right? Yeah, definitely. And um, there are so many things that have gotten negative uh, connotations from just the 40 years of baggage that we've had uh, from this game. <laughs> 
Um, right. But like, there's so many things that are healthy in small doses. Like having a spirited mm-hmm. conversation about what to do next is healthy in small doses. Like if you spend 20 right. to 30 minutes right. figuring out like what the next arc of this campaign is going to be as a as a group, that's healthy. But if you do it for you know mm-hmm. two weeks in a row, which you know back in the day when <laughs> I was having a harder time right. getting people uh, kind of in the right direction, I thought that that was a thing. Like you would just spend days and days out of game time or whatever trying to figure out what to do next nice. uh but then railroading is the same thing like you can't do that the whole campaign because it feels right. like a it feels like a movie and you know a cinematic cinematic experience not like an interactive one uh but like there are right, times right. where you really do need to just take the reins and, and move things along and again that's that's maybe a more controversial uh position um not one mm-hmm. that everyone would agree to but i think it like i said in small doses i think it's it's certainly valid yeah, absolutely. Especially if you can feel that um, the story in the game session as well is kind of starting to get a little bit stale, right? Like, you know, there hasn't been much momentum built up. Everybody's just kind of butting heads and, and not um, not moving anything along. You kind of have to step in and, and move the things along yourself because you, you need to have that that, you know, at least a little bit of a sense of progression and... Um, you know, a kind of a dynamic flow of like, you know, action and uh, downtime in between and development of story and stuff along those lines. Right. And if everything kind of grinds to a halt, then, you know, as the GM, you kind of need to step in and move the story along in some ways. Right. Whether that be like, oh, the port's closed or you're trying to decide what to do in the midst of the city and someone comes along and steals your purse and runs off. And now they've got to, you've got to chase them down and, you know, catch up with them. And all, well, it just so happens that where that thief is going is off to this next place that I kind of had a little bit prepared. So now you're in front of this thing that's going to send you off on the next story segment, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what I would really recommend is, uh, you know, these are the the best moments to insert some kind of hook uh, that's mm-hmm. relevant to, like, uh, you know, the group or even an individual player. You might be like, oh, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. you know that your long lost brother uh, was spotted in this area. And so maybe you want to go check that out. Or uh, if you remember that NPC we met, like, you know, uh, 18 sessions ago. Uh, they send you a note <laughs> mm-hmm. saying, hey, I have more information. Please meet me at such and such place. And so um, right. what what you can do as a, as a game master, dungeon master, what have you, is um, use those moments of uh, indecision. Use those moments of, of kind of uh, getting stuck to wedge mm-hmm. in those uh, character moments, those character arcs to then uh, make it mean something to the group instead of just being like, well, you know, some generic fantasy where you're just going and helping the king fight a dragon and save the kingdom. Like, that doesn't feel... Right, right. That doesn't feel like much of a story until you put in the connective tissue that, like, actually has to do with Mm -hmm. the characters' backgrounds and so on. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of been a recurring... Uh, theme amongst our our guest here is the the advice always seems to boil down to you know make it matter to the players um if it's not something that's personal to them then they're not going to have that investment in it to want to go go after it right yeah yeah definitely and that's most people are there for that there's there's people who play Mm -hmm. the game 
uh, because they want to have combat and it's a game and it's kind of like this, uh, um, like that's what's interesting to them is kind of figuring out this uh, system of combat and figuring out how their characters right the, the are crunch to it and whatnot. Um, but yeah. but most people, I think nowadays it's it's been a big shift. But most people really want to be there to feel like they're part of the story. They want to to mm-hmm. know that them being there mean makes a difference to the way that the story unfolds. Uh, and I think that's where we're seeing this huge shift away. And I mean, I could go on about all the intricacies of that, but like, uh, I don't see as much of a focus on like dungeon crawling because that's there's not much story there. Um, there mm-hmm. there's a lot of story to be had in a dungeon because there's like interplay and people saving each other's lives and harrowing experiences. Right. But um, at the end of the day, like there's not uh, there's not a hook there usually. It's just doing it for mm-hmm. the sake of doing it or doing it for treasure, which um right. at least in in the most recent edition of D D has been not as big a um motivator uh as it was in yeah. the past like people aren't really looking to like make a lot of money because money was really kind of has lost its meaning meaning in the in the mm-hmm. sense of like the mm-hmm. kind of uh character arcs that people go through for sure yeah i think um you know it's interesting that you say that because i've been playing and i've been running an eberron game for um quite a couple of months now and the players are at like i think they're at six level now and i'm just sending them into their first dungeon on like an upcoming adventure all of this time up to that it's been like like yeah there was a cave that they had to go in to fight a monster that was in there but it's not like a dungeon crawl really they're just exploring the small area and getting to the monster that's been plaguing the area we're not you know exploring all of these vast you know rooms and corridors that twist and wind and there's full of traps and stuff like that like i'll still use some of those elements to it but we haven't had our first true dungeon crawl just yet uh that i'm about to kind of start setting up actually so um yeah uh no and i love eberron um a lot of the things about it just kind of um cleave towards uh a character-based uh, setting a lot of the things oh, about Eberron just make it so much more fun mm-hmm. to, to play as these kind of bombastic heroes. Um, and the best part about it is that it's, I, I feel like it's uh, harder to be a murder hobo in Eberron because you're kind of like on this <laughs> world stage. Uh, right, right. I, I ran a... Well, there's also the the fact that like there's there's no clear good or evil most of the time. It's always, everything is in shades of gray, oh, totally. right? Like some people might be better than others, but they're still going to probably have some things about them that are a little bit shady or, you know, they, they have their own goals in mind, even if they are on a seemingly good cause, right? So um, it's, a, it's, it's uh, having that sort of, you know, moral quandary in front of the players at pretty much all of the time prevents them from just killing everything that comes in front of them, essentially. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so I was running a, an Eberron campaign a few years ago that, that went smashingly. It was one of my favorite uh, campaigns I've run in recent memory. Uh, but at the very beginning, uh, the group was dealing with a Kruthic invasion, like these Kruthic, you know, these creepy little, like, basically they're like, uh, I don't know, uh, Zerglings. Um, mm. And so they noticed that these things were like boiling up out of the ground. So they go to this... Uh, warforged apothecary and they're like hey we got to get rid of these monsters 
what can you give us? Mm-hmm. And basically the, the Warforged gave them like a scroll of cloud kill. So they go over there, they use the, the scroll. <laughs> it worked really well. It, like they, yeah. they almost, it was one of those things they almost got caught behind and affected by the cloud kill. But anyhow, so they do that. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was laughing. I was like, man, <laughs> cloud kill can be really deadly if you're, oh, if you don't know what you're doing. Especially at, like, so. I think they were level two or three. So it would have been really, really deadly. Oh man. Yeah. That's like, that's going to annihilate any of them but for sure. They, they took care of the Kruthik problem. And uh, all of a sudden, they have all these authorities like swarming them, like within within a few mm, days, mm-hmm. and they're like, uh, "Yeah, we just we just got done with a hundred year war, and there's a, a whole bunch of armistice treaties and and a, a bunch of uh, uh, things that basically say you can't use uh, weapons of of war. This is mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. mustard gas you're using. Like, how yeah, dare you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, we've just signed the the Geneva Convention of this world, and you're throwing mustard gas on these these creatures now. Um, and so it was um, it was a really good leverage because then I was like, well, great. we'll we'll let you we'll let you off the hook, but you have to do these jobs for us. And so then that kind of oh, nice. pushed it yeah. in the direction. Mm-hmm. They got to be like the dirty dozen of the world. <laughs> Excellent. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, that's uh, really displaying that sort of uh, the the things that are going to hook those the characters in to to continue them on, right? So, oh well, they have this mission and they do this thing, but it turns out to not be so great, and now they're kind of on the hook, and they've got they've got to sort of repay this debt <laughs> because they used a you know weapons of war in in peacetime, and well, what do you do now, right? So, I think uh, those um, those kind of that, that like character developed tension essentially right it's not necessarily uh you know end of the world type stakes it's just like oh well now i feel obligated to make amends for this thing so now i'm gonna go and, and do that right do these tasks that they're asking of me yeah and um you know it's funny you mentioned kenshin i think there's uh there's elements to that too where like you can refuse to do the thing and i think if i remember there mm-hmm. were a couple of times where he did he's like no I'm not going to do this for the government. Like I've done, I've done what mm-hmm. I did to bring this era of peace, but you know, you can't, you can't oblige me to do these things anymore because I'm not, you know, I, I'm not um, your agent anymore. And also I don't, I don't mm-hmm. agree with what you do. And then you see the consequences of like not doing it, um, right. potentially leading to other things. So you can always let a group decide, no, we're not going to do this. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe they don't get imprisoned because they use this weapon of war, but they get like branded, and so they have to go off and do something else. And all of a sudden, it's like, mm-hmm. oops, well, we didn't we didn't take this job that the government agent gave us, and now we've got the, these consequences coming our way because this would have re- like this does relate to us now with the consequences that are happening. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and all talking about all of this, I actually have been pulling up the uh, the Cyberpunk Red manual here as well because I think uh, there's a lot that they say in the uh, running this running Cyberpunk section of the game. I'm not sure if you've had the chance to check it out or not, I have but, not but I'd love you know to. the more. Oh, it's it's such a great game, and we uh, in our first season we had like three episodes uh, that were almost like seven hours of me and Rob <laughs> talking about well, mostly me talking about cyberpunk and me geeking out about it. So and like still even couldn't finish all of you know get through everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, the running cyberpunk uh, section of the book, like for the the GM specifically, has a lot of really great uh, tips about like you know keeping it personal and how to 
uh, you know, really make sure that everything that's happening is uh, relevant to the characters. But also one thing that is really great about it, and I'm getting to the page right now, is um, they talk about uh, the um, sort of the, the pacing of the game and kind of scripting it out almost, like setting it up almost like a... Um, a screenplay, right, where you have these beats and things that then how the story kind of develops together. Um, and I just really love and I've talked about it a couple of times on the show. So if you'll indulge me a little bit, I want to give some more detail yeah, um, here about this. It's, you know, the the beat chart that they put up for that is sort of like Mike Pondsmith's um, structure, more or less. Um, they talk about the hook, which obviously is the thing that like hooks the players and gets them on the journey, right? Um, the development, so the story kind of develops from there. It's like moving the story along, essentially. Um, and then a cliffhanger is sort of the moment of tension. Um, or there's the moment where there's like some some doubt. It might be, um, you know, a, a fight or something along those lines. And then that turns into, you know, other developments and cliffhangers and, and so forth there. But then, of course, there is the the climax of the story and the resolution. Um, and the way that they, they lay it out here in the book is really neat because they're like, okay, well, sometimes there's, you know, development, development, cliffhanger, cliffhanger, development, development. And it, they, they, they talk about like, you know, kind of figuring out the beat or the rhythm to your story. And I, I think that's something that's really resonated with me since I read this last year and I try and implement in, um, you know, every single session that I have is this sort of ebb and flow of tension and progression or relaxation almost like you know all of the stories have this sort of uh these beats that are taking place in them and sometimes it's you know for a while there'll be lower moments where the party gets to talk and or they're discovering things finding out about different aspects of the mystery or whatever it is that they're trying to explore or whatever and then that ultimately leads into a moment of tension where all of those developments that have come up sort of turn into something that's important, right? Some sort of maybe combat or some sort of social encounter that makes all of that matter. Um, and there's that moment of tension that usually comes down to some rolling of the dice, either, you know, combat wise or um, um, like socially, you know, role playing. Um, and then, you know, that that continues on from there and ultimately keeps building and building until you get to that ultimate climax for the session or the adventure or whatever. And then you have the, the quick resolution of wrapping everything up after that. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's it's really um, important and also cool. It's, it sounds weird when I say it like that, but it's important and cool <laughs> to start to realize like the the way that those beats work with your group because one group might be mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know combat combat um you know narrative and another group might be like uh you know narrative downtime um you know kind of revelations and so on uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and, and what have you and it works differently but you start to kind of see what draws people in you you kind of start to see where they fit in with like this kind of a the, the groove of the game um mm -hmm. and i like mm -hmm. you know i i've had the luck of running two groups through the same um uh like you know D, D hardcover adventure 
and oh, uh-huh. just yeah, being yeah. able to see how they they differ like it, 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 it's it's mm-hmm. one of those like no two no two uh of these are alike um and but right. it's really cool to see like a what works here what works here but b like mm-hmm. what what are they going to take from this uh with each group like what what are they going to enjoy out of this and it's almost like you get to 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 kind of enjoy more of it that way because you get to draw through disparate elements um and, and put them sure. to, into uh, into play that way yeah absolutely i think it's it's super vital to figure out you know what uh, really gets the the attention or the engagement from your players and then just sort of fill your game with more of those um and while still kind of maintaining that you know rhythm between the beats right and something that i do also like here just one one more thing to talk about for cyberpunk is that they mentioned that you know they say like one beat so like a a development or a climax or whatever is you know a half hour of real world time um which is (laughs) um generous i would say (laughs) maybe is the word um to say that you can get through a a beat in in a half hour i would say somewhere between you know half an hour to an hour um, kind of depending on on the group there, right? But um, I still think like having that sort of frame of mind of like, okay, we're only going to focus on this beat for a short amount of time. Like this one beat isn't going to be the whole session. That's going to be a part of it. And then we'll move on to kind of the next thing and kind of have to find that uh, that pacing, right? Keeping things moving along. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say that uh, it, it, you're right. It's generous to say a half hour is kind of uh, encompassing a beat uh, because you know every every game group is different, and you might right, a beat right. might be five minutes, it might be two hours, uh, and it's really funny. I've I've uh, stopped writing down um, like uh, I guess like session notes beforehand um, mm-hmm. to be like so structured or whatnot because something that I might have mm-hmm. spent two hours uh, preparing might take five minutes and something that I like scribbled <laughs> right. some notes down for might be like the next yeah. five sessions. Um, yep. It just works out weird that way. Uh, and yeah, so it's like sure. the doing less prep um, has helped me because then now I'm, I'm more flexible to go one way or another. Um, and that's just me. That's, that's not a universal experience. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing I will say that tremendously helped me with uh, pacing. And I mean, I, I would say I would recommend, anyone to try and do this if possible if it's within their wheelhouse or their ability to do but run convention games uh adventures league mm-hmm. if you're into that or, or you yeah. know, pathfinder society or, or what have you but having that kind of uh not only that drop-in element where you're just kind of like being given a group of players that you're not necessarily used to uh but also mm-hmm. having to do it within a time frame and just kind of running this this uh discrete adventure uh, you'll really start to learn that if something hasn't been completed before like the climax of the game, you have to move on mm-hmm. anyways. Um, mm-hmm. So there yeah. might be like a puzzle to do or a social encounter or something right. like that. Uh, and it might hurt a little bit at first. Um, kind of like, you know, it, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Like it kind of hurts my OCD not going from point A to B to C to D. Especially like having mm-hmm. played games, uh, you know, uh, computer RPGs and console RPGs and like doing things out of order or skipping them just feels kind of blasphemous. But once you get used to that mm-hmm. feeling, uh, you'll really learn how to take um, chunks uh, and try and give them as much time and attention as you can. But once they're done, mm-hmm. 
you know, once it feels like you have to move on, you'll you'll start to feel better about uh, moving on to the next section or being able to mm-hmm. organically make it happen so that we're, you're not spending, you know, three hours on the thing that should have taken one or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's definitely something that um, was a huge learning point for me when I started running Adventurers Leagues, because uh, I ha- hadn't really done that before. I, I have run them now for about two years, although I guess it's been a little over a year now since I've run an AL game uh, due to COVID. Oh, yeah. But um, same. Yeah. So like, yeah, uh, unfortunately, but um yeah, it was definitely like, okay, well, you know, we're sitting down here, we have four hours, and I have this adventure that I have to get the party through and have some sort of story, right? Because if we don't get all the way through that in the four hours, then like, I don't know, I'm going to, you know, see some of these people in a couple of weeks when it's time for me to come back here and do that. But otherwise, we're not going to be able to wrap this all up, right? right. So finding the... uh figuring out like the important parts as well as like how to just sort of move on once the party has kind of you know, maybe completed all of a, a section, but enough of a section to kind of lead them on to the next thing. Right. And not letting that linger there. Uh, like I usually have the time to with my home game because it's the same, you know, four or five people that are playing every single week with. Right. So. Right. Um yeah, it was uh, it was definitely uh, definitely a huge uh, learning learning curve for me there, and I and yeah, absolutely echo what you said. Like you know, finding ways to play or to uh, GM or DM at a convention or at, for Adventures League is going to be huge for for you just in terms of learning how to uh, to do pacing at your your home game because you don't really have any other options, right? Like you don't have the time to to waste on different things or to uh to let linger let go on to next session you you got that four hours and you got to get it done right yeah and eventually you'll you'll kind of learn how to smooth out the wrinkles um mm-hmm. as i would mm-hmm. call it like you know you're gonna it's gonna be super wrinkly at first but then eventually you're gonna learn how to how to smooth out those wrinkles you're gonna learn how to make it feel more organic and before you know it if they haven't ever played that that module or what have you um, and you you do it in such a way that they don't know you've cut something out, and they don't mm-hmm. know that there's uh, you know maybe you took out an entire encounter or you um, shortened one thing that was in there. They, they, they if you're doing your job right, they won't know that or it won't feel like that. And it takes a while right, to get right. there, so you know obviously don't beat yourself up if you're not there yet. But you will eventually get <laughs> right. there. Uh, and you know, um, I, I think too, and I'm not going to say the name of the module that I ran, uh, because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but it was so, (laughs) it was so terribly written that I was just trying to read through and go, what is the point of this? Like, what am I even doing Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm, this? mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's like, I'm flipping, I'm flipping. And this is like five minutes before the game's due to start. Uh, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to take all of the elements that are here and I'll do something. And so it was like this kind of Mm -hmm. weird party thing that was happening and you're supposed to find a person and get a thing or whatever. Uh, again, I won't go into too many details, but, um, I ended up just running it as this kind of weird, big soiree event. And the players are meeting like Mm -hmm. all of these weird and interesting people, um, and I definitely think that they ended up having way more fun playing like this weird cobbled together version of the game that I put forward on the table. Uh, because right. A, I, like, I, I, I was able to kind of present these interesting elements 
Um, and then B, I was able to kind of still put in the, the I guess you would call the milestones of the story uh, in mm-hmm. a way that mm-hmm. made sense. Uh, but, you know, it, it, you're, you're, it's almost like you're editing a movie on the fly. Like you're, you're <laughs> right. cutting chunks out, you're <laughs> putting chunks in. That's a fantastic way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe only people who have had to edit anything would get that. But it's, it's, it's painful to do <laughs> yeah, when you have sure. the time to do it. Much, much, much more mm-hmm. when, when you don't. When you don't have that time, exactly. you're just kind of doing it on the fly, doing it live. <laughs> I'll do it live. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, excellent uh, bit of advice there, and certainly it's a, a learned skill. I think DMing in general or GMing in general is very much a it, it, you know it's a constant learning process, right? Like even as we're talking here, you know, I've been playing for God knows how long. Like I said, about ten years or so. Um, like with actual tabletop RPGs and doing other writing and stuff before that. And it's like, it's always, you know, an evolution of the process and, and an evolution of myself as a DM as well. Um, and even now I'm still learning things like that's part of the reason I'm having people come onto the show here is like, I don't know everything about this. Let me get somebody else's perspective and I'll, I'll learn something from them and, you know, take that back to my game as well. Right. So um, just always as a GM, I think, be open to refining your process and learning and adapting and, you know, kind of learning how to read the room or read the table is a huge part of that as well, uh, certainly. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, and that that's what really helps you change things on the fly is, is being able to, like, read or understand where people are at, um, mm-hmm. taking those cues. Uh, and a lot of it is um, body language, which has made the recent um, kind of uh, playing through Zoom or through Roll20 or whatever, mm. it, it's, that's yeah. harder. Like, I think people have learned that that's sure. a harder way to play the game because you're not able to really uh, kind of take those uh, um, the the visual cues as much as you could otherwise. It's a lot, it's right, a lot right. more listening than it is kind of watching. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. that's a skill to develop too, but... Um, when when you start to to learn how to pay more attention, whether it's like body language or otherwise, uh, then you mm. know which channels to follow. You know which uh, paths to kind of uh, cleave to, and and that's a really important mm-hmm. thing because you could be um, you could be planning like this giant you know army battle of you know like you know the war of the five armies in, in the Hobbit and whatnot. Mm-hmm, uh, or mm-hmm. six, I, I can never remember. But you get there. You go where I'm going. You could be planning some yeah, yeah. huge epic thing, and as you're kind of starting to describe it, people are kind of going like, "eh," and then all of a sudden you're like, "oh well," but you could always sneak around the army and go into the general's tent and maybe like you know try and fight him in a big <laughs> boss battle. And when you see it start seeing right. people's eyes light up, you're like, "okay, that's the way we're going." Right. Right. Excellent. Yeah, I think, um, you know, using kind of jumping off of that, I want to circle back around to something that uh, you had brought up previously is when you have that sort of um, like clash within the the party of, uh, you know, what direction they want to go. You know, you're you're in this scenario, you've got these huge um, armies all lined up and you were kind of planning to have them, them all sort of clash together and make this huge like combat encounter. Um, that was maybe the the whole session or a couple of sessions even. 
Um, and then, you know, you've got some players that are like really invested in that and like, oh yeah, that sounds like awesome. Like, let's have this huge army fight that we're going to be a part of. And then you have the other players that are like, oh, I'm not really interested in taking part of that because I feel like my player is going to die or, you know, I wouldn't be involved in a huge combat encounter or, you know, a war or anything like that for my character. Let's do this other thing. So what is, um, I guess your advice to GMs? when they come up with this or come into a situation like that, where there is those sort of like opposing wills in, in the party, you know, what are your tips for sort of resolving that inner party conflict at, on the spot? So there's a lot of ways that I would probably approach that. And just seeing, um, you know, I, I think the first step I take is how important is either side, um, uh, uh, like either decision to either side and so it's maybe mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. who want to do the combat are like yes i've been waiting all campaign for something like this this is really awesome and the side mm -hmm. that doesn't want to fight they're like on the fence they're like well you know i don't know mm -hmm. if i want to do this and maybe i have to sell them on it a little bit um so if there's a side that maybe is um i guess i would call um uh oh what's the word i'm looking for maybe they're persuadable uh towards one mm -hmm. side or another okay. maybe I'll, I'll i'll attempt that tack but um always i'll listen to both sides obviously and always i'll want mm -hmm. to see if there's a compromise there's almost there's almost always a compromise that can be reached and so mm -hmm. maybe For sure. maybe the the group that wants to do the combat they do the combat the group that doesn't want to do the combat they do something different maybe they're on the sidelines mm -hmm. doing okay. some kind of a thing maybe they're off like um, you know, preparing an avalanche that's going to take out like a chunk of the enemy troops. And that's more of a, okay, yeah. you know, a mm -hmm. side mission that they can do that isn't like, oh, we're putting ourselves in harm's way. It's no, we're going to go do this thing that ultimately will affect the outcome, but we're not like fighting this deadly war that we are going to die in mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and, you know, moreover, there's, there's almost always a thing to do um, that will affect them. And that's where you, that's where my, my multitasking brain kind of kicks in is that um i can have people do different things and usually it's just jumping back and forth it's almost like a movie scene and i apologize i don't know what that honking is oh, okay i was like is that outside my no that's stuff? that's me. Where, where is that okay gotcha I think no, all good. This car is malfunctioning um i'm gonna oh, try lovely. and move to a different spot and hopefully this will okay yeah we'll we'll pause and or not pause the recording but we'll we'll uh pick back up here in, in just a second is that better Oh yeah, much better. Okay. I can't even hear that now. So, and I apologize. Um, so I was saying my uh, my multitasking uh, brain kind of kicks in, and uh, that's where um, it's like an action movie where like you're all right. We, mm -hmm. we cut to mm -hmm. the to group A, and they're you know fighting the kung fu fight against the the ninjas, and then we cut to group B, <laughs> and they're hacking the system, and they're making sure that they're like downloading the satellite information into the diskette or whatever, mm -hmm. and so it's. Um, those are the moments where I have to really be uh, in adrenaline mode because I have to cut from one to the next, one to the next, and that kind of right, right. Um, that's kind of important for combat, regardless, because I've I've noticed that I do combat in such a way that like I keep the rhythm going where other people are like, okay, so what do you mm -hmm. do? And then like you know, uh, five minutes later, the first player has taken their action, and then people have forgotten who's next. <laughs> and so, like right, pacing, right. especially in in action moments, whether it's combat or not, mm -hmm. uh, combat are really important. And I I try really hard to just keep people 
going on a, a very specific pace because like combat especially right. if you don't keep that pacing going then it, it just it just feels like you're um it feels like you're going through like a court procedural or something <laughs> right yeah i mean it can definitely drag down or bog down the uh the pace of the game when people aren't aren't sure of you know what to be doing um so i guess i i know you said you try really hard to keep the pacing up like what are what are your secrets man like how, how do you do it so uh, people might be um like my players might be kind of um annoyed by me sometimes but like i try and end a turn mm -hmm. as quickly mm -hmm. as possible uh and so it's okay. like if someone's doing something i'm like and is that this you know is that the end of your turn are you done with your turn? Mm -hmm. It's like you've taken your action, you've taken your bonus okay. action, are you going to move? And there's mm -hmm. like a lot of prompts because I like I'm already trying to move on to the next person before they're even done. Right. Uh, and like I said, that's I can see myself being like kind of obnoxious sometimes, but it's helpful <laughs> because if I don't right. do that, then there's people going like, well, I could maybe cast this spell or... I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I, I like what's good is that my I think my players at least have adapted to me because they're like, oh, wait, no, I have something else to do. And I'm like, OK, good. Do that thing mm -hmm. now, please. Mm -hmm. uh, but otherwise, <laughs> right. Otherwise, they'd like, you know, go a little bit overboard and, and, and try and like just sit there and do their turns. I think uh, that's right. the hard part, especially when you get people who are like maybe a little bit newer to the game. Uh, who are mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to run over and, you know, pull this guy out of his car and start beating him up and then, like, take his wallet. And, <laughs> and it's like, wait, right, no, no, right. you can't do You're all like, hang on, that. all right. <laughs> right, you get you get six seconds. <laughs> 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 if it's D&D &D or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, for sure. No, that's that's great. I think those prompts are, are a really great way of, of doing it. And I noticed myself kind of doing same similar things. Like you, you said that, and I was like, oh, I guess I do kind of do that as well. And I wasn't even conscious of it. Like, you know, asking people like, you know, is that is that the end of your turn? Are you doing anything else? Like you used your, your action and your move. Like, do you have a bonus action or you can wrap things up now, et cetera, et cetera. Like just those small, those small little questions to throw out there to kind of keep things moving along. Um, one thing that I also like to do sometimes, especially now, cause the, the virtual tabletop we're using called, called Astral, mm -hmm. really great for a lot of things, but the combat tracker, um, isn't something that everyone can see, right? So when the, uh, the initiative's coming up, I'll maybe be like, okay, well, it's this person's turn. And then I'll let the player who's up next know that like you're on deck. So you figure out what you're going to do because you're going as soon as this person is done or, you know, the the fighter wraps up their stuff. And I know I've got a couple enemies between, you know, them and our, our next PC. So I'll be like, hey, you know, the these guys are going to take their turn. But then once they're done, um, you know, the druid is up next. So, you know, that you got to be thinking about what you're doing. Right. So um, just those small little prompts, I think, as well, or something that can. Uh, be huge for keeping everybody or keeping the combat moving right and not letting it bog down the game too too much there yeah definitely 100 percent because uh you, you really want to just make sure that things uh move on and like as quick a, a mm -hmm. way as possible because you're going to lose people um you're going right. to lose people as um you know somebody's turn hasn't come up in in like you know a couple minutes and they're just kind of zoned out right uh, especially when everyone's at a computer, they could just go and, and, you know, start, start browsing a website or watching a YouTube video. <laughs> right. They're playing games on steam while they're trying to play D and D. I'm just like, come on, man. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that, that doesn't actually happen with my game. I'm just exaggerating, but yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, those are extreme examples, but, um, 
it, right. it is just a matter of like making sure you keep people engaged and, and keeping people hooked. Right. And when when you when you move the the pace of combat quickly enough, they're like, okay, my turn could come up before I before mm-hmm. I realize it, and I, I'll I'll be kind of uh, you know left in the lurch. So you want to make sure that you kind of keep them in, on their toes, and uh, whether that's someone who's uh, turn it is and you're trying to like kind of rush them on so that they finish or even someone mm-hmm. whose turn it isn't and you might even think to prompt them of being like okay you notice this happening you know i know you've got counter spells do you want to do something about this like uh you <laughs> right. know do, these are like you you want to make sure that they understand that the combat is about them even when it's not their turn uh so right, th- right. those are other ways to kind of do it you bring people in and when when the the, the pace is fast enough and and it's kind of uh rushed along um mm-hmm. then they 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 know to pay attention they know to kind of be in, engaged and involved for sure um yeah and i think you know i i kind of i i was the one that sort of got us off track here but i do want to circle back around to what we were talking about that kind of led us into talking sure. about uh combat and and keeping that pace up um is the uh the sort of um you know the the conflict of wills between the party and kind of what their um their motivations or their goals kind of going in, in separate ways or what they want is kind of uh, in, in opposition for each other. I, I think um, really the the impetus that here is like figuring out what aspects of these things are important to the party, right? Like if you, if you have this clash, you know, we've got this big battle, battle coming up and, you know, the certain characters are like, yeah, let's go do it. We're super gung-ho. We're going to be in the midst of all of these people fighting around us and it's going to be an epic battle and that's going to be awesome. But you have these other people who are like, oh, you know, I don't want to get involved in that particular, uh, like the huge warfare between these armies and stuff like that. Like figuring out what it is that is driving those factors uh, or those decisions or desires and finding ways to, uh, you know, like you said, like kind of come to a compromise. Right. So I, I want to go back to your example of, um, you know, they, the party finds a way to sort of sneak around the army and get to the general and have a big battle with them. Right. Mm-hmm. So if that is something that would appease the, the, the people who are really gung ho about the the big fight as well. Right. Like, you know, do you think that connect or finding a way to get to the the general of this army and having a big showdown with them, is that going to satisfy that same itch that, um, you know, being in the midst of like a, a military conflict is going to be right? Because it, if it's the just the combat aspect of it, like, can we find ways to implement that or or, you know, to your other point? If the players that don't want to get involved, like can find, you know, are interested in finding ways to affect the outcome of the war without being involved directly. Yeah. Like you said, you know, have them set up an an avalanche or, you know, have some some spells that they're casting from the sidelines that are affecting everything that aren't going to get them directly involved. Right. Right. So just finding out what it is that the players really want from these things that they might be arguing about and finding some way to make those things work together at the same time um and the and or you know maybe like you said kind of split up the party you know half of y'all over here the other half of you over here doing these things and we'll kind of cut back and forth between the two 
Yeah, and usually it's uh, easy enough to find the compromise because uh, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, most groups, most players just want to show off. They want to show off their right. how badass their character is. <laughs> yeah, they, absolutely. They want to show off all the cool stuff that they've acquired. So, you know, you might have someone who's sitting on like three gems of elemental summoning. And if it's like, oh, good thing that you got those things. Now we're going to unleash three elementals on this army or whatever. They're just <laughs> as happy to do that yeah. as if they were going in there and fighting. So usually it's it's, it's just absolutely. everything's a set piece and everything's just kind mm-hmm. of trying to find a way to make them feel badass. Uh, and I love it. Like, I love it when my groups mm-hmm. are, are, are succeeding. I love it when they, they're, like, you know, writing um, on top of the world and, and whatnot. So it's it's always good mm-hmm. to, to kind of give them a way to be uh, awesome. So you For sure. usually you just have to frame it in that way and say, oh, the general's over here. And he's got, like, three lieutenants who are each as tough as, like, the boss that you fought a couple of levels ago. So it's going to be this really mm-hmm. big fight. And it's going to be all this big thing. And uh I think usually you just have to uh, find different options for the the players to take, and it's it's the opposite of what I said mm-hmm. early, earlier. Sometimes you have to take options away. Sometimes you have to like mm-hmm. plonk another option yeah. down on the table and say, "Hey, what about this one?" And if they say, "Yeah, that sounds great," then that's what you go with. Uh, right. Right. You know, sometimes you do. You're like, um, you you might throw an option for like, "Oh yeah, you can go into this gorge of poison and." Uh, retrieve this artifact that's going to save the day and everyone's like we're going to die down there like I don't, I don't really want to go into that <laughs> right. poison. Uh, and so you're just uh, like I am oh. very squishy so no thank you <laughs> <laughs> well maybe if you go into the cave of sorrow and retrieve the object that's going to keep you from dying in the in the gorge mm, of poison mm-hmm. maybe that's going to be better and they're like alright I can do that <laughs> right yeah but it, it's Excellent. it's all about yeah. just making sure everyone feels like they're the a they're being heard and and b that they're they're kind of doing the things that they ultimately want to do even if you're kind of uh, right massaging the the options. For sure, yeah, and I think something that you said as well is about in, just enjoying when your players are being badass and kind of on top of the world. Like I, I yeah, absolutely, that's one of the best parts about being a GM is like kind of empowering your players and giving them opportunities to to do cool shit basically um i think there's there's a lot of uh you know old school sort of tension between this or this idea of like you know players versus dm um and i i've that's something that i've been since i started dming is kind of trying to steer away from as much as possible um and more of a like yes i'm going to challenge you but i want like i'm on your side ultimately i just don't want you to think about that in the moment (laughs) right like yes i want you to succeed and yes i want you to be badass but i'm going to put these things in front of you that make you rise to that occasion make you come up with cool things to do make you you know maybe do some things that you you weren't intending to do as your your character there or you know you don't want to reveal this thing about yourself but if you do it gives you a chance to be really kick ass right and and save the day or whatever um so just sort of presenting those uh those opportunities to the players in a way that is challenging to them as as players and as characters as well but not trying to um hinder them ultimately right so that's my style anyway. I don't know how you feel about that. No, and I completely agree with all of that. Uh, and, you know, I've played the older editions of D&D, at least all the way back to second. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of design decisions, I think, that were done then from, uh, you know, I'll be nice and say uh, ignorance. 
that made people feel it made people who played the game feel like they had to get as much as they could out of the game that is to say like i gotta get mm-hmm. the most loot. i gotta get the most mm-hmm. magic items i gotta like you know figure out how right. to um you know break the rules of the game enough that i can be guaranteed to win because otherwise my character could die in a heartbeat um, <laughs> right and right. when you when you have that kind of voracious need to win from the player's side then the dungeon master kind of feels like oh well i need to make this a challenge i need to make this mm-hmm. feel like it's mm-hmm. a game i need to make this feel like if you're you know if i'm just giving you everything on the silver platter then none of this has any meaning and so then that kind of generates this competition like it's uh you right. i'm sure you've played those board games where it's like um you're racing against the clock or you're trying to do a thing mm-hmm. like nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, you lose because the board game is unfair. Um, and <laughs> right. people like that style of board it's game. A- asymmetrical build. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, and those are fun, but like as, as a, as a tabletop role-playing game, like that's not fun to mm-hmm. me. And I think I've played enough right, of that right. style to know that it's like, okay, that's, that's competition. That's like Catan. That's like really being cutthroat, but like that, I don't, I don't really mm-hmm. enjoy right. that in this context of, of like, telling a story and so i think uh the good thing is that you know treasure isn't as as meaningful as it used to be uh magical mm-hmm. items certainly are not as meaningful as they used to be and i think there there definitely was a conscious uh decision and I'm, i mean i mean i'm talking specifically dungeons and dragons fifth edition here but um, right right even yeah, yeah. even as a whole i think tabletop role playing has kind of come away from that kind of dog eat dog um sensibility oh absolutely yeah i mean especially if you look at things that have sort of evolved out of the tabletop rpg space that's definitely the way that things are moving is that you know it's it's collaborative storytelling it's not i'm trying to set up this thing and good luck succeeding right like that's not the game the games that are being played anymore really right and and you're getting a lot more uh personalities uh, kind of coming into the game because I, I definitely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. see a lot fewer horror stories of people like, oh, this person's running a game and they're being a jerk and they're trying to kill everyone. And, um, right. You know, I don't know what to do because there's no other games in town. That's that that used to be like, you know, every other RPG story I would ever hear is, mm-hmm. you know, my dungeon master is a jerk or he doesn't, you know, do this. or he's <laughs> Right. To... And I have no other options for playing D&D except for to play with this jerk. Mm-hmm. So and it's different now. You 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 have yeah. options. And so you don't have to stick around with someone who's just going to like, you know, uh, lead you around by the nose and, and kind of get his kicks by doing mm-hmm. it. Awesome. Yeah. I. uh I think, um, you know, just something else for for GMs to keep in mind as well. You know, if you're if you come into a uh, sort of conflict where, you know, the like there are players who are like all about role playing and all about, you know, others that are kind of all about the action. Um, it's just, you know, finding ways to display those attributes or the things that make them badass in those paths uh in different aspects right so you know you have a player that really wants to do a lot of the the role play type stuff they want to be into their character so they think that oh that's only you know interacting with npcs or exploration or stuff like that right so i think just kind of talking with them about how to involve or incorporate those things into combat right like oh well Yes, we're fighting and yes, we're, you know, just rolling dice to see if we hit, but let's find ways to kind of flavor that in such a way that it makes your character unique, right? Like, are you this sneaky rogue and you're going to creep around and find a vantage point and then, you know, shoot your crossbow 
at the enemy from over here, right? And and that's kind of the thing that you really like doing and finding ways to be badass about that. You're not just like, oh, well, it's my turn, so I shoot him with my crossbow and yeah, it does this much damage, right? Because that's, that's another way for players to very easily check out when they're not invested. Uh, or I should say, maybe the opposite of that, right? Like that's, if you see players checking out because they're not invested in that, you know, talk to them about ways to kind of get them more involved. Um, and similar on the other other aspect of that is, you know, if uh, if you have like a, I don't know, a fighter or, you know, barbarian type uh, character that is not really interested in like the social encounter aspect of things, but the party's in a city and they, you know, don't really have anything to do, you know, let them know about a fighting pit mm-hmm. or like, you know, have some sort of like small brawl break out in the midst of things. And suddenly they have to step in and they're using those attributes that they have to uh, be involved in the situation. Right. Yeah, uh, totally. And uh, so in my games, whenever there's uh, like, you know, your fighter types or your big bruiser types or whatever, mm-hmm. and it feels like there's nothing for them to do. Like uh, my go to is an arm wrestling contest. It's almost always <laughs> nice. It yeah. almost always gets people like, oh, yeah, arm wrestling. And even if it's just like <laughs> yeah. whoever rolls higher on a D20, like wins the arm, like they still get invested. They're like, yeah, right. and there's people right. cheering and um <laughs> right so you... and especially if they lose like that gives them something to come back and try right and if they lose to somebody that they shouldn't maybe like mm-hmm. like oh now i'm bitter because this <laughs> like person that i thought was scrawny beat me in arm wrestling and i'm like a barbarian so like why is this happening now i have to come back and and prove myself to them or whatever, right? No, and it, it happens the best when it's like stakes. inter-party and you have like the wizard that oh, beat yeah, the barbarian yeah. and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. And then I, I, I love those moments because it's like, for me, it's like an exercise in storytelling. Like, okay, well, I have to be able to rationalize how that happened, right? Because the the barbarian is like a wall of muscle and then the wizard somehow beat them in an arm wrestling contest. Well, what happened? Well, maybe the... Uh, the table got rocked or there was a bit of, you know, slick surface. So they didn't have a good grip or, you know, some some reasoning behind why that would happen. And it's like I have to sort of flex my my storytelling muscles then to kind of make that make sense as well. Right. Which is a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And it, it's usually it's like that whole improv thing all over again. You have to contextualize it sometimes for yourself mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. It's for no one else. Uh, and so all of a sudden you're kind of trying to think to yourself, well, why did this happen? How did this happen? Right. And it's almost as much fun filling in those blanks uh, as it is coming up with a, a story on your own. Like it's you're given mm-hmm. these weird prompts and I, a lot of people like to say the dice tell the story and they do uh, because all of a sudden you're having to account for something you didn't think was possible and yet somehow it <laughs> right. is. And it doesn't mean right. that you have to let the players like, oh, I do this impossible thing with a skill check, but because I rolled a 20, that, <laughs> right. you, know, that, that, you don't yeah, have to like, do that. I, but the, I want to, the, the classic is like, oh, I want to try and jump up to the moon. <laughs> let me roll an athletics check. And oh, I rolled a nat 20. I jumped to the moon. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> That's not how that works. And I'll, uh. even if they fail, I'll, I'll usually let someone like fail but do something really cool or interesting and right you know uh, usually i won't even let them roll i won't i'll be like no come on that's silly Mm -hmm. don't that's not how that works but otherwise um you know i'll at least um give them something really cool for rolling a natural 20 and so it's it's all about agency like the players all want to feel like what they're doing is important and has meaning and so you Mm -hmm. can always find context for that you can always kind of 
um, find a way that, for them to to do that and feel like they're involved and like that they're they're an important integral part of the of the group. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love what you said there about like, even if they fail, let something cool happen. I, I love the idea of like failing forward, right? So, oh, we're trying to, uh, you know, get through this locked door and I failed my thieves tech, uh, thieves tools check. Um, so the door didn't open. Okay, well, I'm going to try again. That's kind of the, the thing that players would do, right? Mm-hmm. But instead of that, it's like, well, you you failed. You know, you stuck your your thieves tools in the thing and you've jammed it even further. And now there's no way that you can get through the door, you know, with your thieves tools here. Um, you do notice, however, that the door is, you know, made of wood and um, could potentially be busted through, you know, with without too much effort. You know, this is, a, you know, and you're saying this to you like your meat shield or your uh-huh. tank or whatever to be like, hey, you you know, you notice this. What do you do about that? Right. Kind of giving them that instance to, oh, well, I smash it down. Right. Like things just that's an example, obviously. But like, you know, finding ways to to fail forward or to fail and still have some way for the party to progress. You don't want to lock your progression behind a single skill check, right? You always want to give them options even when they do fail. Exactly. And that's, that's so important because I think we all, when we started had those moments uh, as, as dungeon masters of, well, Mm -hmm. no, you Mm -hmm. have to figure out how to get past this or else none of, none of the rest of this, you know, happens. We can't move forward if we don't do this thing. And it's like, no, that's not on them. It's on you. You, you as a dungeon Mm -hmm. master have to Mm -hmm. figure out how they move forward. Uh, because you know that that's part of the reason I very rarely use puzzles, uh, because mm-hmm. you know a puzzle might be super easy, or a puzzle might be so hard because they're not in the right mind frame. I, I don't like puzzles like mm-hmm. when I have to do them because I might be like I have no idea how to solve this, and there's this <laughs> right. little tiny uh, area, it's like a Venn diagram of this puzzle uh-huh. was just hard enough uh, that. It took the group a little while to figure out, and they felt really cool figuring it out. But that happens mm-hmm. so infrequently that it's never—it's it's almost never worth the payoff. Um, and right, I'm like, you right. want a puzzle? Go to an escape room. I'm not going to do that for you. <laughs> uh, but what I will do right. is give you an exciting experience where you're going to move through, mm-hmm. I don't know, a five-room dungeon, and you're going to feel like accomplished doing that. You're going to feel like it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Right, but you're not right. going to get stuck on anything so bad that everybody just kind of gets frustrated or the... Uh, the right. the pacing of of the game just like slows grinds to uh, to a halt for sure yeah i mean i personally i do like using some puzzles um i like to try and leave them open ended enough though that there's not necessarily one set solution but also if the players come up with an idea that's good enough and isn't the solution that i had in mind like yeah absolutely that's that works and you can move forward congratulations you figured it out and meanwhile in the back of my head i'm like oh i hadn't even really thought about that i guess it's, yeah doesn't quite make sense for what i was going for but <laughs> eh, they seem to like it so okay <laughs> you know <laughs> um <laughs> so it, it reminds me of a uh, college course that i took in biology once and the the teacher had told us beforehand she's like oh i borrowed these notes from mm-hmm. or the slideshow from a colleague and as she's going through them she was like oh that's interesting oh I didn't know that. And I think I learned from that experience to like try and keep your cards close to your chest and not be like that. Cause otherwise that's, they see the man behind right. the curtain and then it's like, Oh, you don't know what yeah, you're yeah, doing. Yeah. You're just For kind sure. of going off of what we're saying. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you don't want to let the players know that you're letting them succeed even though they didn't solve it the way that you wanted them to. <laughs> right you just want to let them have it and let them think that they did the right thing yeah and uh, that's, it, it, that's hilarious though <laughs> the example that, oh i'm a college professor and i didn't know what's in these things that this other professor had in their slideshow huh like, yeah why the hell am i paying you all of this money oh right god now? no like, I, that was exactly what my thought was it's like I, i'm paying a lot of money for this and uh, i could have just I could have just sat at home and done this. It's a, it, it was kind of yeah, in the yeah, early yeah. days of YouTube, but um, I probably could have found a YouTube video that, that gave me all that same information um, and uh, that for free. Like the, this, this lady yeah, was right. not, she did not inspire confidence. And I, to that end, I think you do, you have to inspire confidence as a, as a dungeon master. Um, for sure. Because it's not, as you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, you have to make them feel like they earned it. And mm, if you, mm-hmm. If you make it seem like, oh, I just took your suggestion and ran with it, that's cool. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like they've mm-hmm. earned it. It doesn't feel like something that the that the the player group um, has done. It's more like, oh, we just accidentally right. said something that that kind of made the, the <laughs> thing move forward. But if you can, right, right, and, and again, it's like it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of deceit, and that sounds harsh too. But like, if you can, <laughs> if, if you can deceive the group into right. thinking like, oh yeah, this was the plan all along, it's much more satisfying. Right, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's it, you got to have that that kind of poker face as a DM, oh, yeah. right, or as a you know GM or whatever. But uh, can't let them know what you have planned. Um, or how what they have done has like completely changed what you planned, right? You have to make them think like, oh, it was the plan all along. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I, to to kind of build on on top of that, um, I really enjoy like listening to my players uh, talk to each other and like uh, their conjectures about like where things are going or what's coming up in the story and stuff like that. And Sometimes I'll, I will steal that straight from them. They're like, oh, well, I hadn't thought about this thing, but now they're paranoid about this one aspect of something that I brought up and they're totally terrified by it. So I'm going to take that and that's actually going to be the reality that they are going into right now. Oh, God, yeah, that's... Um, and as far as they knew, that was already the case, yeah. right? So... No, and uh, yeah, it, it, listening to to that kind of party talk of like, oh, what if this mm-hmm. or uh, it would be mm-hmm. terrible if that and just taking those cues um it, it's really important because it, it does it's kind of a, a um it's 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 cheating almost but it's kind of a really good way to <laughs> right. uh make the setting feel organic because then not only mm-hmm, are they mm-hmm. thinking of the the context of the setting they're they're thinking of the context of the campaign and kind of having this like this is what my character would think or this is how the world mm-hmm, makes mm-hmm. sense to me and so all of a sudden they're they're right. involved they're invested they're they're kind of um you know feeling that um at gosh is the word I'm looking for but uh you bring them in that way and they start to feel like right, they're right. they're really kind of a, a part of the setting uh immersion is what i was mm-hmm. trying to think they're immersed yeah, yeah, yeah. because okay. then they start to feel right. like they they kind of understand it's like when you really uh get into like a book series or a comic book or a tv series and mm-hmm. suddenly you're like oh man what if this and what if that and like boy these two yeah, people yeah. really like have a, a lot of chemistry together and you know uh <laughs> a legion of fan fiction has been launched from that kind of feeling and so when you when you get people yeah, that absolutely. interested in in the story then it's it's a very really mm-hmm. satisfying feeling 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just to, you know, point out kind of the other side of that as well as that you can use those paranoias to kind of hoodwink the party as well, so to speak. You know, you kind of, they, you think, you know that they think X, Y, and Z is going to happen, but in reality, it's, you know, A, B, and C is the, the way that things really are. So you kind of lead them down the path of X, Y, and Z with some breadcrumbs and then kind of turn the tables on them to reveal the, the actual thing that was happening all along without them realizing, right? Yeah. Um, so whichever way is better for you and for the story that you're telling, um, maybe even have some sort of combination of those ideas as well. Um, so yeah um have, have you watched uh wandavision i have not okay, actually i was gonna bring I up something not... up but i didn't want to spoil it for you okay well <laughs> i i appreciate that um i'm sure my my listeners that have seen it are dying to know what you want to talk about <laughs> or maybe they already do um but uh yeah it, you know unfortunately well i guess not unfortunately but I haven't like bit the bullet and got Disney Plus just yet, just because there's been so much else that's been going oh, on goodness, since yes. it launched that I haven't had the the time to or like, you know, the I guess the kind of the will to sit down and like do those specific things that are only on Disney Plus when I have all this other media to continuously consume. No, um, I, I'm but uh I'm in that yeah. boat. I have so many things that I'm trying to watch right now and I'm behind on so many of them. But anyway just right. me saying that, like if anybody had watched it, I think they'd they'd get the gist of what I was they, getting at. They would know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well yeah, I, I know we've talked about a ton of different aspects of GMing and managing the table and managing your players. Um, I, I guess, do you have any, any sort of like parting words of wisdom, anything that we haven't touched on that you feel is super vital to convey to, to the listeners here, or maybe just want to try and, you know, summarize everything into some, some parting words of wisdom for us? Uh, yeah, I, I would just say that um, it's all about holding attention. And I think I had mentioned when we were kind of uh, discussing all of this initially, that it's a lot like classroom management, which... You know that's mm, not a universal mm. experience. Like uh, you know, I've I've been in the field of education. I'm I'm not a teacher per se, but you know, I've I've worked with teachers a lot, um, mm -hmm. and just kind of understanding that w the best thing you could do is hold everyone's attention and kind of keep a like kind of a metronome like pace when you're teaching because if you don't, you lose the people in the back, you lose the people mm -hmm. who who maybe aren't as attentive, and uh, you really have to kind of make it. Uh, unorganic experience and so being able to like hold that pace uh you know um and and read the read the table is really important so sometimes that means mm -hmm. you have to give like these big uh flowery descriptions of everything and maybe that's how you get people involved or you know maybe you you work on the interpersonal level and you're like oh well these you know npcs that you all care about have these things going on that you need to help them with. And that's what's that, that's what attracts them into the, you know, into the story. Mm -hmm. uh, but really uh, it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of paying attention and it's a lot of reading the table because the more, you know, your players and what their likes and dislikes are uh, the better off you are going to be to craft that experience for them. And that's what it ultimately comes down to is, you know, you're going mm -hmm. to make this a game about the table uh, not about your story that you want to tell. You have to make sure that you're um, doing as much for each individual person at the table uh, as you can. And that's kind of a tall order, but as time goes mm -hmm. on, it gets easier and easier. For sure. Yeah, I think 
man, something that you said just there really resonated with me. And it's like, I'd never heard it put quite so succinctly, but like you said, it's, you're making this a, a game about the table, not about the story that you're telling, or, you know, not about like, oh, we're playing D and D. So it has to be like this, like you're as the GM, you are involving and interacting with the people that are sitting around with you to, to have a good time. And you're making the session, making the campaign, you know, whatever it might be about that. Right. Cause ultimately, you know, as much as we love D and D and some people like to really latch on to the, the, the manuals and the rules and all of that, like that's all part of the game. But ultimately this is a, a game that you and, you know, probably your friends or some, some folks that you know through the community, if it's like at an Adventurers League or event or whatever, we're all just sitting down to have a good time and, and to play a game together, right? So you want to focus on that and learning about the ple- the people that are around the table with you and, and making this an experience ab- about them and something that they can enjoy ultimately as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like the way that that's put too. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on today, Ish. Uh, I know um, you talked a little bit earlier kind of about stuff that you've got going on. I want to kind of give you the floor, though, to let our listeners know, you know, as much as you want to tell them about yourself, how to find you on, you know, Twitch or, you know, where, wherever is, is best to reach uh, reach you or find out about what you do. Yeah, so um, you know, I've I've written a lot of uh, tabletop role playing books, uh, primarily as I mentioned for fifth edition D anD. d I have a lot of products that uh, are under the um, Fat Goblin imprint, but lately I've been doing a lot of Twitch streaming. Uh, I do um, a game on Mondays, which is set in the Palladium Fantasy uh, setting but using 5th edition rules, and I'm really excited about that one. I have a game on Tuesdays, which is much the same. It's a Palladium Fantasy setting uh, game using 5th edition uh, rules, and I I plan to have them kind of intermixed, so hopefully people who are paying attention to both games can kind of see the through Mm -hmm. line, and I'm really excited about that. And then on Thursdays, uh, I do what I call Games for You, the the number four, Uh, and so Mm -hmm. I play games that are the fourth in a series. Sometimes I cheat, uh, sometimes I don't. April Fools, I played Final <laughs> Fantasy Mystic Quest in one sitting. Uh, and if anybody knows what that even means, you'll uh, you'll I, either be really excited I, or really uh, scared, as I was. <laughs> I was both. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's not a game I'm super familiar with. Can you give a little bit more uh, <laughs> you know, detail on that one? Yeah, so, um, so you know Final Fantasy IV. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit after that game came out, uh, Squaresoft, back in the day before they were Square Enix, decided that they wanted mm-hmm. a game that was kind of like training wheels for console RPGs uh, so that okay. they could get a broader American audience because they were making great games, but people in America weren't buying them. So they made Final mm-hmm. Fantasy mm-hmm. Mystic Quest, and it was like the most simplified, weird console RPG you'll ever play. Uh, there's an option to turn off the numbers on your hit points so that it's like a bar instead. Um, huh. uh, you only get one player character and like they get joined by uh, you know a, a revolving cast of like uh, people who come in that are usually of higher levels so that it's the game's easier that way. It's <laughs> okay. it's yeah, it's yeah. a goofy goofy game and if anybody wants to spend 11 hours watching me play it, it's up on YouTube. But uh, I go through all of the intricacies of it and just how goofy it is. And uh, it's an experience. It's not for everybody, but I will say the music Mm -hmm. is top notch. I'll I'll always listen to the music from that game. Whoever composed it was amazing. 
Fantastic. And and I it sounds like your Twitch and uh, YouTube is just uh, Elven Wizard King then? Is that how people find you? Uh, yes, uh, Elven Wizard King. That's all one word, no spaces, just like it sounds. All right, awesome. Um, yeah, and definitely, uh, like I mentioned before we started recording, send the links over. We'll have them in the description below uh, for our listeners so they can just click and uh, and find you there as well. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on to the show today. It's been a, been a blast getting to chat with you here. Right on. Um, yeah, and uh, to all of our listeners uh, here as well, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us on this uh, episode today. Definitely check out uh, uh, Elven Wizard King here and uh, follow and support uh, support him as well. Um, if you are interested in connecting with me, you can always reach me over on Twitter at 19HitsTheDragon. Um, you can also send an email if you like, if that's kind of more your thing, 19HitsTheDragon at gmail.com. Um, but, uh, of course, the best thing to do for the show, as always, is, you know, like, comment, ra- leave ratings and reviews wherever you can, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, but then, of course, tell 19 of your closest friends. Um, thanks for joining us again today-ish, and thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we will see you all next time when 19 hits the dragon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.